happen when you're all right hi everybody thanks for listening to our podcast we do this every day i'm pat mulroy the supervisor of the world of learning institute the world of learning institute provides virtual instruction in world languages and other classes like calculus and chemistry when it's difficult for a school or district to find a teacher we're here to talk to you about what we do every day which makes virtual learning authentic, relevant, and engaging. And if you have any questions about that, you can contact me at pmulroy at worldoflearninginstitute.com. So today I have um, Olivia Grugan and Allison Rodman from The Learning Loop with me um, to talk about adult learning. And Allie's first book, um, Personalized Professional Learning, was a real hit with our IU8 team, both the curriculum and the professional learning folks who go out and work with all 35 of our districts. Um, so Allie, that was, was that pre-pandemic, I think, wasn't it? It was. It was very sort of, I guess, late. It was like our last points of contact. I was right before, um, you know, everything kind of shut down. So yeah. it's been interesting to see how the work, how the work continues to evolve since that point. I know. I know. Our whole world has um, kind of went into a whole new direction, which we've embraced because we've always been virtual. And I know you've always, as an educator, embraced technology. So, um, so Allie, how about before we get like really deep into the conversation about professional learning, just tell us a little bit about you and about the learning loop. And I love the name. I want to know how you came to the learning loop. I think I know, but I really want to hear more. Absolutely. Pat, thank you so much for the invitation. I'm so excited to have an opportunity to chat with you and Olivia today. Um, My work is partnering with schools and districts, as well as education nonprofit organizations to help them design and then facilitate really empowering professional learning experiences. As an educator myself, I was tired of the same, you know, one size fits all sit and get PD that too many educators still experience. And I knew in the adult learning world, we could just do it better. So that's what I spent a lot of my time doing is coaching district leaders, school leaders, and teacher leaders who are facilitating those professional learning experiences to help make them as as personalized as as they can possibly be. In terms of the learning loop, um, it was fun to kind of come up with the title because it really forced me to dig into my own philosophy of education, not just for students, but for adults. And in the adult learning space, one of the things I felt like we were critically missing was the job embedded component of learning, right? Coming Mm -hmm. back and looping back to say, okay, you have the information, you have the strategies. Now, what is it actually doing for you in your leadership practice and your teaching practice that's pushing you forward, that's helping you grow just just a little bit more? So some of the business name is grounded in research when we look at double loop learning, but from a practicality standpoint, it really is about working with facilitators to make sure that they're making that loop come full circle and leveraging that time that we have, not just face-to-face or not just during the synchronous engagements, but in all the learning opportunities that are before our educators. That's awesome. And it's, it's so catchy. And for me, it reminds me of the continuous learning. Like I, I kind of think of it that as a loop in and of itself, but continuous improvement, like we call our meetings, continuous improvement meetings. That sounds so boring, you know, like so um, kind of prescriptive. And learning loop really like for me and and you are very fun. You're very fun to learn from. So um and you have another book coming out, right? Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? That's super exciting. 
I do. So my second work with ASCD will be coming out this September. Um, the great sort of, I guess, part of this work in particular is the idea for it was hatched prior to COVID as I was working with educators and seeing this real need around capacity building and, and tending to adult learning needs um, individually, as well as from a, a team standpoint. And then, wow, has the world changed, right, over the course of the past mm. two and a half to three years. So it's been interesting to see the research continue to evolve and to come back to the piece month after month and see what different shifts and twists and turns and perhaps um, more practically tools educators really need to, to make it come to life. So in the course of the text, we'll walk through five different principles or disciplines of learning to help individuals become better learners themselves, but then also build their capacity within teams and within systems um, to address some of their own learning needs as well as their social emotional needs. Awesome. Awesome. I love, and I know um, you've been like really probably on the cutting edge of social emotional learning for adults without really talking about it. Um, because a lot, I mean, I think back, um, you know, to when you worked with us at the IU and, and how you really were thinking about, and I think just the idea of thinking of adult learning is different than learning that happens for students and really keeping the adult psyche and the adult ego kind of in mind is so that we can take care of ourselves. That was really cool. But before we go continue to go too far down, we do have Olivia Grugan, who's part of the World of Learning team with us, and she does a lot of our professional learning. So Olivia, you might just want to do a quick catch up with folks who maybe are joining us for the first time. Just let them know who you are. Sure. You learned about professional learning over the last three years. Yes, it was sort of like baptism by fire. I mean, we're a small organization. And so we all wear many different hats and do lots of different things. And I have always really appreciated professional learning myself um, as a teacher. Uh, my mo the most recent place that I taught in the classroom was at Tyrone Area High School and taught Spanish and social studies. And there were relatively limited opportunities um, to participate in professional learning because of all the constraints that, that schools face and that classroom teachers face. And so often it's, it's very precious time. I think you were getting at that, Ali. And so when we did have that opportunity, you know, I was in a, in, in Spanish, well, first of all, I was in two departments and in Spanish, I was in a, in a department that didn't have a department. We were in with the English teachers because we were small. And so when you talk about professional, personalized professional learning, there was nothing that you know, it was very difficult for the district, obviously, to be able to personalize things for the Spanish teachers, or the world language teachers. So when I started working with the world of learning, I was very drawn um, to the idea of supporting our teachers. At the time, we were largely or exclusively world language teachers. And so all of a sudden, I was a part of a department of like 30, you know, and so the possibility of providing really job embedded, very specific professional learning, at least um discipline wise, right, which is certainly not the only way to think about it, all of a sudden was was uh, an opportunity that was available to me. And there was some time and space for me to do a lot more professional learning myself. So I think about like in my four years, at the world of learning, I've attended national conferences and, and state conferences, and I've participated in your um, professional learning and professional learning with Heidi Hayes Jacobs and Alison Zamuda and just lots of opportunities that have come to me in these past few years that have shaped how I think about um what we can provide for, for adults. But one of the themes for me, and maybe you can 
shed some light on this for me, Allie, is that I'm, you know, relatively early in my career and relatively young as an educator. And so I think I do believe all of us have things that share with each other, just like my one year of teaching kindergarten, I learned from five-year-olds, right? So if I can learn from five-year-olds, why can't, you know, someone who's done this longer learn from me? But at the same time, I think among adults, Pat, you hinted at the ego piece. It is hard to feel like you, what do you have to offer an adult who's been at this longer than you have? Um, And how can you recognize that just because I'm in this, I'm supporting you or facilitating you in this particular moment doesn't mean those tables won't turn again. Maybe I have something to offer you in the way of technology. Maybe you have something to offer me in the way of, um, you know, building rapport with students or something that your many years of experience have, have aided you in. So I think that's been one of the, the themes for me is how to navigate that in a way that's respectful and productive. Certainly. So I always think of our work as facilitators, um, not as kind of client and, you know, consultant, but rather thought partner. And I very much approach the relationship as well as our work together from that particular perspective, because at the end of the day, it really is what it is, right? They're reaching out to you as a facilitator to say, here's a pain point or a challenge that I'm having right now. Can you help me ask the right questions and go through the right thought processes to get to the root cause and possibly brainstorm some effective strategies together? And as you noted, Olivia, as adults, those tables do often turn where individuals who may have reached out to me at one point, I'm then reaching out to, you know, to say, hey, what is this looking like in the field or in this particular environment? I want to better understand. Will you be my thought partner in, in this space? And I think as much as we try and work with students around sharing the importance of collaboration and those collaborative partnerships, that becomes even more critical to our work as adults, as we work in teams, but then also work with partners to not only facilitate learning, but then make sure that the learning and the strategies and the tools that we're walking through find their way into implementation within one another's learning spaces. So I would love to hear just from a learner standpoint, what are some of the things that draw you to a professional learning engagement? What's exciting for you when you read a description or you look at an opportunity? What what draws you in? That's a great question. My colleague Lauren and I were just working on some proposals for ACT Falls conference next year, which is a bunch of teachers of foreign language. And we were sort of, we were sort of teasing each other. We were like, you know what, what is wrong with just sitting and getting as much as you can possibly get? You know, there's this sort of a little bit of push to like, how is your 45 minute session going to be highly interactive? And so I think it, like anything, it depends on the moment, right? And it depends on what I'm trying to get out of it. So there are professional learning experiences. And I've shared this with Pat, that for me, I'm like, the best thing I can get out of here is a relationship or maybe a couple relationships. So those, you know, if that's, if you're looking for relationships or that's what you need, what you're needing in order to further your thinking in a certain area, then I want a professional learning opportunity that is interactive. I want to turn and talk to my partner. If this is a group of people, maybe that I'm going to continue working with, let, give me time to get to know them. Don't have me so packed up that I can't look somebody else in the eyes, right? At the same time, if we're all coming together at this national conference in this national place, now the truth is, with virtual collaboration, I probably can continue to collaborate even with people across states. But 
you know, sometimes you're going to hear someone whose work you've been following, someone whose lessons plans you've used before, and you think, I've got 45 minutes to get as much as I possibly can get from this person. I don't want to get to know what the person next to me's like favorite, you know, food is. Like, I, I just want to get everything I can from this, this hero in the field, right? So I think there's some recognition of like the context um, and the environment and also is this my only professional learning experience all year or am I someone who gets to do it regularly? I'll probably be much more forgiving of a few moments that are not valuable to me if I get to do this regularly. You know, when I was in the classroom and got to do it very infrequently, um, it was probably a lot more important to me that almost all of it be relevant to me, right? I probably had less tolerance for sort of um, things that felt initially irrelevant. So that's sort of a grab bag. I'm not sure if that's all that helpful? I don't know. Is there something in that that connected for you or? Yeah, that was super helpful. And I love that you brought up the point of context because I go through this when I'm designing a conference session, for example, right? Those 45 minute quick hits, like like what you referenced um, versus a full day professional learning engagement, the approach to design and the ways in which um, we sort of foster interaction or deliver content looks very different in in those circumstances. I have sat in professional learning engagements in a conference setting where individuals have almost been pushed too much to share, right? And they're just like, nope, I'm out. You can watch them kind of start gravitating towards the door because in that setting, in that context, they do want a little bit more of, of the sit and get versus when you have that you know half day or full day with folks, there's gotta be that opportunity for movement and for collaboration and for digging in and action planning. Otherwise, it's just too much content overload. Um, so in working with facilitators and in designing my own sessions, that's definitely something that stays in the forefront of, of the work. And I see that even continuing to shift as we're getting, you know, sort of fully back into some of the professional learning that perhaps we were engaged in um, a few years ago and, and kind of pressed pause on for a while. Do you know, I, as you were talking, I was just thinking about an exercise that Pat and I were sort of working on this morning, which is to prepare some really, really, you can call it bite-sized. I've heard the word drip, you, you know, very. Literally um, drips though. like Literal like drips, like less than two minutes of professional learning. And um, it reminded me of, like, did you ever have, either of you ever have a college professor that I had one who it was a higher level course. It wasn't that he couldn't have sat and read our 20 page papers, but he would have 500 word essays or 250 word essays. They were very limited in their length. And that was the best writing that I ever did because it was a constitutional law class. There was like a lot of stuff to put in those 500 words, but it was like anything that was summary, anything that was fluff, transitionary statements, you just, you would, you'd start with several pages and you just start boiling it down, boiling it down. And I think you know, like what is at the heart when I walk away from a conference session, you know, you're not going to remember obviously all of it anyways. So, I mean, certainly I've loved half day sessions and whole day sessions. And there's a lot to be, especially if you can turn and work with someone and get something done in that time, or at least start to start to kind of sink your teeth into it. But I've also been thinking about like, if our teachers have two minutes in the day, what's like one thing they can walk away with, you know? So that's that kind of drip learning is new to me. I did not experience that previously, at least in a way that I like would have named or been aware of. I don't know if that's something you have any experience with or think about, but. 
Absolutely. So I just actually wrapped up a virtual workshop for a school that I'm partnering with. And typically, if I had been facilitating it on site, it would have been anywhere from 45 minutes to an hour and a half, right? We would have had our three core pieces of content. We would have done some pair work or partner work um, or teamwork rather with individuals in their department to share what was going well and what their challenges were, um, and then had some action planning. And for this particular segment, they wanted to move towards a model that was more asynchronous, pre-recorded, had action planning tools for them. And I engaged in very much the same process that you just described, right? Even with pausing for four different segments of kind of personal reflection and action planning, it was only about 17 or 18 minutes um, total. So really thinking about what are the critical pieces? How do you boil them down? How do you make it accessible, but then also action oriented? Um, I kind of want to experiment with the two minute drip though. This sounds fun. It's, it's almost well, like an ignite um, session at a conference. We'll have to share some of these with you because it's part of um, what we're trying to do to encourage people um, to kind of think about the storyboarding that we're working mm-hmm. on with Heidi and Allison. And part of it is we want them to know what our design space is going to be so that when they get to Heidi and Allison, they don't have to worry about the design space. They can just hear Heidi and Allison for that like 90 minutes um, in the virtual space and get really excited about it. So, you know, we've really, we've really tried to think about what are people's attention spans. And I think in this kind of transition where education and professional learning are changing because there's so much information out there. Um, I'm wondering how you both have received feedback from the people you're working with and what things are they finding most valuable? What are you hearing from the people in the field about what they want? Because I know like as a person who's going out there, we're writing things that we want we think we think people want, but what's the feedback you're getting from people when you do help them? What are they telling you are those most valuable nuggets that you're getting out there? One of the pieces in my work has been a real shift towards hybrid, right? So I think um, in the professional learning space, we always knew in some ways that more frequent connection points was most effective, but from a cost perspective, because we were most comfortable in face-to-face environments, we didn't get as many frequent touch points as we want. As a field, education just didn't have the technology proficiency that I would say it does now in most cases to be able to even think about a hybrid model or to think about some of the virtual professional learning opportunities beyond just Zoom, right? That um, many educators over the course of, of the past couple of years have become much more proficient with. So That's definitely a common thread that I'm seeing from from partners is a request for more of a hybrid model where it might be, you know, a day on site to get to know the staff and engage in some culture building, then multiple shorter connection points virtually to keep that learning loop going, to keep the work going, and then kind of a, you know, check-in point again on site um, to to get the feel of a place. I I think that's important in a lot of this work too. Um, but also being open to a variety of different synchronous as well as asynchronous learning opportunities. Um, and then the other piece of that, again, I don't think is anything new in education, but a real desire for relationship building and for action planning tools. 
So I'm seeing with partners an interest in having more touch points to understand context and understand what's most important within their culture and within their environment, which from an adult learning standpoint is really promising for me because it tells me that we're not just kind of buying things off the shelf, but instead being really conscious about what our adult learners in those spaces truly need. And then along with that, this cognizance towards action orientation. Um, If we're going to deliver or facilitate the content, what does it then look like in practice? So being even more conscious about the usability as well as the frequency and volume of action planning tools and supports that um, go along with the professional learning engagements that, that I'm facilitating. I love how many times you said the word action. I think that's really good. It's not afraid. Like, yeah, I, I think I'm reflecting and I think that's implicit in a lot of the work that we do, but I like how explicit you're making it. Um, and one thing I'm thinking to your question, Pat, about feedback, I have two distinct, though maybe we can relate them to other pieces and I'm sure they're connected to what you just said, Allie. One is like flexibility, accessibility, flexibility slash accessibility. So, you know, in our context, we work with part-time teachers and they each have a different schedule because we're working with 35 different districts. So some people are busy in the morning, some in the afternoon, right? Some on Tuesday, Thursdays, whatever, some every day. So like, how can we package our professional learning so that people can access it? And sometimes that means accessing us. It doesn't mean everything's asynchronous. There can still, because I think you said hybrid, people are still wanting to connect with others. You said relationships too. So just because we're going virtual doesn't mean we're going fully asynchronous. So asynchronous certainly allows for a lot of flexibility. So there's something about, and recently we made this shift. It's not some grand shift, but we were offering office hours at set times that worked for us because we each have schedules too. And we were just seeing it wasn't really meeting our teachers' needs to come to our office hours um, at the times that were working for us. So we were opening up an hour each between the four of us, so four hours over the week, but they were not actually catered to the needs of our teachers. We were giving a decent amount of time and it just wasn't lining up. So there's something about um, adaptability, flexibility. And then the other piece that I was thinking about as you were talking that I think gets to the action part is that a lot of the professional learning I've been doing recently is to help our teachers who are doing curricular kind of work, course envisioning and course planning. And that's where the storyboarding comes in. And we have a series of activities and readings for course builders to do before they start creating a new course. And it's designed as a checklist so that if there's a resource on there that you're like, I know this inside and out, Maybe you really know the actful standards as a language teacher. Cool. Check it off. You know where it is. You know how to access it. There it is. Maybe there's another resource that you look at and you say, oh, I I either haven't looked at that in a long time or I've never seen that before. So allowing the, the adult to decide where to spend time rather than dictating it for them. But in all of that, I've had a number of teachers say to me that they, they appreciated that everything was there. And what I mean by everything is like, we didn't, Sometimes we want to respect and honor each other and or not offend each other. And so we make certain assumptions, like we use certain terms, like, you know, the actual standards. And I've had that and I'm sitting there going, mm-hmm, yeah, I know, because I'm a Spanish teacher. So I definitely know that. And then I think, God, I really don't know the, the standards in my field or I don't know the predominant pedagogy in my field because maybe I um, went to school 10 years ago and it wasn't being taught at that time or maybe... Um, 
you know, I got emergency certified and I didn't go through that process. So like I've had multiple people, people say, thanks for not a suit. Like I needed that from ground zero, like making no assumptions that I would know the acronyms or that I would know the terms, like give me everything. And then as an adult, I'll pick and choose. Oh, I don't really need to spend a lot of time on that. So there's some balance there too, between like respecting the adult learner to facilitate their own process, but also not assuming that just because you're at a certain point in your career that you know certain things, because that can be kind of intimidating too, I think. Absolutely. And I think it's hard sometimes as an adult, right? We talked about ego earlier to to be able to step forward and say, hey, I I don't know that or I need support with that. Right. And, you know, that has been a real focus of mine in putting together the final version of of the manuscript for this next book is how do we put the concepts on paper, but then also move them to action? Um, so if you're reading a particular section and you're like, wow, this is the area I really need help. You're not just sort of stuck with the idea, but instead can immediately go and have a tool or have a support that that helps you put that into practice for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's been a lot of my work over the past couple of months and, and will continue, um, you know, as we get to the final publication date is to really look through and say, okay, what is the piece that's going to move this or support this for individual educators, regardless of what, what their experience level is. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, readers will see a ton of QR codes embedded throughout the book that take them directly to action planning tools for, for each of those pieces. And it's something I'm really excited about um, because it moves it from being just a, a static piece of learning to hopefully a, a truly action-oriented one. Mm-hmm. You know, and Allie, you see that reflected on your webpage that you provide lots of resources and tools for people, even if it's just kind of a little bit, you know, giving something away just so people can kind of get like that bite-sized chunk, but you provide lots of resources in terms of templates and and other kinds of things to think about action planning. And I've always appreciated that about your approach because you're, you're very willing to kind of give it away. And, and I think some of that leads me to think about the relationship you build by providing that, you know, you were already creating, you know, a generous kind of welcoming saying, Hey, here are some things, see if these work for you. You know, and if these work for you, maybe something else that I do can help you or your teachers. And I think for both of you talking about, you know, what folks are looking for and how you kind of get to that, I think, you know, Ali, you talked about the value of like that people aren't looking for that one size fits all anymore, that there's a a real response for creating culture. And I think, um, for me, that's the most important thing that people will feel comfortable going to Olivia, Lauren, you know, the administrators you're working with, Ali, that that their teachers feel comfortable to go to them, that they've you've built a culture of trust in your in your system. Because it's it's hard these days. It's hard to be an educator. And um and my hat goes off to all the people who have stayed there, stuck it out. And, um, you know, listening to Olivia in the very beginning, when we started this conversation, talking about the limited amount of effort that she was afforded because of all of the restrictions placed on public schools that she just didn't have the opportunities to have the kind of personal and professional development within that construct. And, you know, for me, I just want to figure out how do we break those barriers? How do we how do we make, and, and your webpage does that for me. I guess that's part of what I'm thinking. That's such an open space 
that I think um, administrators could look to and say, oh, this is the, there, here are some ways that I can, can do this. And so I'm excited about your new book. I'm really excited about that. Um, because I think, you know, personalized professional learning is like the first idea that you have to get before you can, because you can't think it's one size fits all, like you talked about, Olivia. And I think that's, it's just so crucial. And that relationship piece for me, um, you know, it's hard to believe because I don't feel like I'm even 40 years old, but I've been in education for 40 years and that the relationships are the most important part of any teaching. And, uh, you know, so I just, I, as, as we're kind of like winding down here, I'm, I think about where did you all learn that from? Where did you um, kind of pick up those tools along the way? Because Ali, you wouldn't be out there able to, be a consultant at this point if you hadn't really nurtured and cared for people and built trust for me it was being vulnerable vulnerable about my own learning so willing to share mess ups and mistakes and experiences but then also willing to share how i worked through them um so kind of opening up that learner side of me to the partners with whom i was working to not pretend that I had all the answers, but instead, as, as Olivia and I were speaking about, truly be that thought partner to say, you know, here's something that worked in my context. This is what I see in your context. What if we made this shift to meet the needs of your community and, and your faculty? What what could that look like? So that, you know, that's an initial part of it for me is, is that vulnerability. And the second piece of it is recognizing that I am first and foremost a constant learner myself, that I have a responsibility to continue to learn and to model that learning, whether it's through reading or, you know, listening to um, different audiobooks and podcasts and attending conference sessions, not just as a presenter, but as an attendee, um, to continue to build my knowledge base and take advantage of the opportunities in those spaces, not just to sit in sessions, but to really have coffee with folks and sit down and talk and engage in, in that idea sharing that I, I think not only helps us become stronger educators, but also goes a long way to, to strengthening and building those relationships that you spoke about, Pat. I, I think, Pat, I don't just say this to pander to your being here in this space, but I think you have at least in it, like, again, in that explicit way, been the leader that's most clearly modeled the importance of relationships to me. And I think our space allows us to do that too. You know, I want to go back to what I said about Tyrone for a second. I want to say I got the best professional learning I've ever gotten at Tyrone and it happened in the classroom every day, right? Like from my students, like I wouldn't be, I couldn't do anything that I do today if I hadn't had that time there. And sometimes I think, you know, I need to hold on to that. Like I need to make sure that I have those teaching experiences myself because you can, I think, get too far away from the classroom too. So um, that, you know, is no criticism of that space. There's just different times in your career where you have opportunities to tap into different, different bits of learning. Well, and I but... think there's different, just to, to highlight that, there's different abilities too. Like when you have a small district right. that, you know, they might, like you said, don't even really have a department because there's just not enough people. But what I had was I did, I had mentorship, like, like, Cummins McNitt, shout out to him across the hallway, still there teaching. Like, I mean, the most incredible teacher to me 
Um, but not just teacher, like I could look at him from across the hallway and just give him that face. And he'd be like, I know you had a tough class. I'll catch you after the next one. You know, we can sit and have lunch together. And so it's just, so informal learning opportunities are everything too. And those were not facilitated by anybody or any structure, but they were there because relationships were strong. And I still have a relationship with him today. And I'm sure each one of you can name, you know, a fellow, a colleague, teacher, mentor like that, um, if not many, but I think like you, Allie, I, well, I like learning, like, and in the, like in the world of language, like I'm learning ASL right now. And I keep thinking every language learner should be learning a new language or sorry, every language teacher should be learning a new language. And there's some equivalent in all of the subjects. Like um, that makes me such a better teacher and colleague that I'm having experiences where I'm vulnerable, where I'm messing up, where I sound silly, where I look silly. Right. Um, But I'm also, I'm a talker. And I'm collaborative and I'm nosy. Like, I want to know what's going on in schools. Like, I want to know what's going on in people's classrooms. Like, I'm curious. And so I think letting that curiosity drive be like, tell me about your classroom. I want to know. Um, Because I don't know, because I'm curious, because I'm nosy. However you want to frame it. Like, I like stories. And so I like to hear your stories. And of course, if they're not, if you're struggling, then I want to help figure it out because that's like the resolution to the story. Like every story, you know, you get to that conflict, that tension, you need some kind of resolution. So like, I want to be a part of it if I can. Um, Yeah. So cool. Um, I could talk to both of you, like really literally all day. And Allison, we have had some really long conversations um, (laughs) in, in terms of our friendship and and I would love to invite you back. But as we kind of think about closing out this conversation today, I just want to thank both of you because I admire you both in um, how you build those relationships in such a short time with people when they get to meet you. You're both good storytellers yourself. And I think you're able to be empathetic. I've watched you both be very empathetic as presenters and really thinking about um, your audience. You know, so creating that very first ability to um, build relationships in in your in your setting in your classroom but do you guys listen to podcasts I mean I don't know um there's some podcasts I don't necessarily listen to education podcasts a whole lot and um I like to listen to Krista Tippett a ton and I don't know if you listen to On Being but it's just one of my favorite podcasts and um the most recent one that I'm in the middle of listening to is about the science of awe. And it talks about, um, you know, how you can replenish yourself by seeing beautiful things and that it's scientifically true that when you experience awe in nature, in your family, in your life, that you can be healed. There's this, you know, positive effect of so it's not mm-hmm. just like go take a walk it's like go out and experience it like really pay attention to what that is and and you know you know you can kind of get tuned back up and so when I tell my folks go out and go for a walk I'm not just telling them to go take a walk I'm really telling them mm-hmm. go take care of yourself so that but that's one of my favorite podcasts do you guys have something like that that you bring you know that for me that's a spiritual work that I can bring back and and hopefully um, help the people who I work with to take care of themselves. Olivia, I'm curious. Do you have one? 
Well, I'm, I have not been listening to podcasts recently, but I just started reading a new blog. So I'm going to, I'll answer with that. Larry Cuban, um, Dr. Butler said, if you're in education, you have to read Larry Cuban. Some, some grand statement that I was like, well, <laughs> I don't want to miss the the train here. So I better read Larry Cuban. It was like, if you don't read him something, I can't remember. Um, I won't misquote Dr. Butler on this. So I started reading his stuff and he's, um, his blogs are not, they're not, well, they're not, uh, they're not super long, but they're kind of heady and they will be like two and three part blogs. So he's in one right now about the role of technology in education. Um, you know, not getting distracted by the technology. Actually, his kind of assertion is that some of the most effective classrooms around the world don't have great technology in them, right? So like not letting that kind of technology should be facilitating good learning, not kind of becoming the end in and of itself. So um, yeah, that's my, that's not a podcast, but that's my recommendation for today, I guess. Larry Cuban. Awesome. All right. I wrote that one down. Um, All right. So vulnerability moment here. I am not the strongest reader. So I will often like bounce from book to book, whether it's a print book or an audio book or a podcast series, like constantly, right? I'll read a chapter and then go to another one and then come back to it. So it will look like I've read nothing for like a six to eight week stretch. And then suddenly it looks like I finished like 17 books all at once. (laughs) And, And I think because of that, I don't necessarily have a single podcast that I have committed to. There is one that I dip into a little bit more frequently than others, though, and that is Lara Vanderkam's Before Breakfast. Every episode is like four to six minutes long, which is perfect um, to start the day because you can just listen to it while you're um, getting ready. But she is um, an author who focuses on time management that I really respect. So I've read a number of her books. Um, She understands sort of the realities of of being a working parent and having all of those pieces fit together in a way that you feel truly truly fulfilled, not just in your personal life, but in your professional life. So it's, it's nice when I am able to kind of jump in to get those, those little tidbits and reminders of, of some of the principles that resonate throughout her work. Yeah. I think it is really hard. Like there's so much out there too. Like, I don't know about you guys, but like, I'll go and think I want to read something or listen. And then it's like, I just get overwhelmed by like the number of things that are out there. And um, sometimes when they're too technical or too scripted, I get turned off, you know? So, which is why we do this like really super like simple and easy. So, but I'm so grateful for both of you and this conversation today. I'd love to have another conversation with you too. Um, as we continue down this road about storyboarding and streamlining curriculum and really kind of looking at some of the intersections of of how that builds relationships with kids and and how teachers, you know, how that can really support teachers feeling energized by their work too. Um, Both bring so much of that that alive in the classroom. So um, I want to thank you both for being here with me today. Any final thoughts um, before before we sign off? I just want to say thank you. It is always a pleasure to chat with both of you. Olivia, I'm glad that we finally had an opportunity to to dig into one another's work a little bit more deeply, and I would love to continue the conversation. Um, My only final thought is just take care of yourself and take care of each other. I see so many educators completely burnt out right now, and our default, I I think, response is is just self-care, but 
you know, as, as learners, we really do need to approach our work from, from a place of community care and thinking about how do we fully utilize and intentionally be respectful of, of that limited time that, that we all have in the learning space, particularly, um, to make sure that, that all of our collective needs are met. So just mm-hmm. take care of yourself and take care of one another. Awesome. Can't say anything else. That was so well said. Thank you, Allie. It's really nice to meet you and talk with you in more, um, more extensively. And I, I really like how we're talking about each other as learners. So that's the piece that I'll walk away with, just that we are we are all learners and, and find the things that, remember the things that you love learning. Like maybe you have to tap way back to remember what got you really excited as a little kid or um, and hold on to those things. So I think that is hopefully part of the self-care too, that continuous learning. The loop. Salute. All right. <laughs> Thanks everybody for joining us on We Do This Every Day. This is Pat Mulroy and I'm with Olivia Grugan and Allie Rodman and we'll look forward to talking to you again soon.